Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. The only story in the world of Trek this week is the imminent premiere of Star Trek Discovery, this Sunday night, September 24th, at 7.30 p.m. Central, or maybe a little later if you're waiting for the football game to wrap up. We've got stories about Discovery and more, plus an update on our recap show, Star Trek Discoverage, coming up right now. Let's get underway. So this Sunday is the premiere of Star Trek Discovery, and the promotion machine is at 100% capacity with all sorts of information like screenshots, interview comments, and more available for fans' perusal. Jonathan Number One Frakes, a director of an upcoming episode of the show, has even let a major spoiler slip on the red carpet. And the titles of the first four episodes have been leaked, and I'm not going to report on any of that. We're scant hours away, people. Come on, keep it together. I want to keep you up to date, but at this point, you're either in or you're out. So let's keep a bit of the mystery intact before we walk down the aisle on this thing. It's bad luck to see the Bride's episode titles before the show. So come back in two weeks if you want commentary on the good stuff as far as Discovery spoilers go. Or you can tune in to Star Trek Discoverage, our Discovery recap show. More on that in a bit. It's also bad luck if you don't let any critics see the show before it airs, which is what CBS has decided to do. I've heard arguments about they're protecting spoilers or the fact that they're working on it like right down to the wire. But let's face it, bad look. Not a good look to not give critics a look at the show. I mean, the Orville screened for critics for Sarek's sake. Anyway, there are a few discovery items that are safe to talk about, like... Isaac's antics, our ongoing coverage of Discovery star Jason Isaac's attempt to live life at full volume. Dateline, the 2017 Emmy Awards, hosted by Stephen Colbert, where, in a program that spent a conservative 51% of its runtime attacking President Trump, the peace de la resistance for most came early when Sean Spicer, former White House press secretary for the Trump White House and amateur hide-and-seek champion, appeared at a podium similar to the one at which he conducted so, so many excruciating press conferences in the White House briefing room. Spicer made a lame joke about the size of the Emmy audience. Colbert called him Melissa McCarthy, and that was pretty much that. But many celebs in attendance and online weren't too excited to see the former mouthpiece for Trump in attendance at the ceremony. Many comments criticized the normalization of the Trump administration and Spicer's apparent attempt to rehabilitate his image. But one man, one hero, who was vaccinated by a radioactive phonograph needle, took to Instagram to say what he really felt. Jason Isaacs, star of the new Star Trek Discovery and God's gift to self-appointed Trek news journalists, attacked Spicer as a... Let me just get this uh, straight from the captain's mouth here. Um... Quote, poisonous purveyor of lies, Sean Spicer. What were the Emmys thinking, celebrating this modern-day Goebbels, who was the thuggish face of Orwellian doublespeak just moments ago? These surprising things about him. And I love love the fact that Jason Isaacs, he he loves lists. He's like Liam Neeson there. Uh, Number one, he comes about up to my nipples. Yes, we finally got to say nipples on a supplemental show. Number two, he doesn't think he should hide himself under a rock from shame for the rest of his life. 
And number three, he's deeply unattractive from the inside out, has the aura of a giant festering abscess. These comments were accompanied by a selfie of Isaacs pointing at Spicer in the background at a Los Angeles bar where the Netflix Emmys after party was taking place. Spicer was reportedly very visible at Emmys after parties and backstage at the show, with many celebs lining up for photos with the former press secretary. No word on his inevitable Dancing with the Stars appearance. <laughs> a modern day Goebbels. Oh, oh, Jason, you are my spirit animal. Don't ever change. And speaking of change, has he always been this fun? I don't remember anything like this from him when he was in Event Horizon or he was trying to kill Mel Gibson in The Patriot. Good work. Um, one note, you've got a show coming out in a few days, so make sure to trek up your criticism. Remember that when you mention a historical figure on Trek, you have to do the two plus one thing, which is two real historical figures and then one invented future historical figure. So, like, he's a modern-day Goebbels or a Haldeman or a Joachim. Your Inauguration Day audience is superior. <sighs> I'm just glad Scaramucci wasn't there, or Isaacs might have ended up on the real news. Star Trek Captain dropkicks TMZ host. Plus, you won't believe what the stars of DS9 look like now. On a lighter note, red-blooded American spacemen wailing away on lizard-faced aliens with their bare fists is a staple of sci-fi, and of Trek in particular. And there's one fight move that's the trekkiest of them all. No, no, not the Kirk dropkick. No, no, not the Kirk bounce off the wall and then just bodily fall on a guy and knock him down. No, no, not the introduce an alien woman to the concept of companionship and then just straight knock her out. I'm talking about the devastating double punch. That's the one where you clasp your hands in front of you and then you bring them down onto your opponent's back or you just swing away five or six times, again, at a woman's face, but she's really a salt vampire, so it's okay. I know that move as the double axe handle, and it is or was a mainstay of professional wrestling, and that's one of the facts learned by Jordan Peterson in his article on Motherboard, link in the description, where he set out to discover the oral history of the famous move. And he gets close. Pearson interviewed Dennis Matalone, a stunt coordinator who worked on close to 400 episodes of TNG, DS9, and Voyager. Matalone also composed and shot the video for the 9-11 tribute song, America, We Stand as One, link in the description, and oh my god, you have to check it out. Matalone says there was little to no production oversight into what went into the fights, so he just went looking for something, quote, modern, futuristic, and not barbaric, end quote. To do so, he went to the past, looking at classic Hollywood TV shows, particularly westerns like The Wild Wild West, where the maneuver is used by Robert Conrad. Ooh, Night of the Wild Wild West podcast. Don't steal that. I'm going to do that. So not exactly an answer as to where the move originated. Nice journalism work there, Vice. But still a good chance to appreciate some awesome, ridiculous Trek fisticuffs and an awesome, ridiculous tribute to the greatest country in the history of humanity. USA! Netflix, where you'll be able to catch Star Trek Discovery if you live outside of the U.S., info coming up on our Star Trek Discovery recap show in a minute, has released info ahead of the release of Star Trek Discovery about which Star Trek episodes are the most watched on their platform. And this is for all Trek series. The answer might surprise you. Voyager. The Voyager finale is the most watched episode on Netflix. In fact, Voyager takes six of the top ten spots. Here's the list. Endgame 1 and 2, it's just a feature-length episode, comes in at number 1. Number 2 and 3 are The Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and The Best of Both Worlds Part 2, respectively. Which seems to make sense, but do people not watch the second one? 
Anyway, uh, four and five are Scorpion Part 1 and Scorpion Part 2 from Voyager. Number six is The Gift from Voyager. Number seven, Dark Frontier Parts 1 and 2 feature length from Voyager. Number eight is Q-Who from The Next Generation. Number nine is Time and Again from Voyager. And number 10 is Clues from The Next Generation. I mean, it's baffling. Like, DS9 didn't even make the list. So this is a Borg thing, right? I mean, cl- clearly it's a Borg thing. You got Scorpion, uh, Dark Frontier, um, Time and Again, that's an outlier, no clue. And for the other ones, Q-Who, Borg, um, Clues is just a good episode, so I, I don't know what's going on there, but good good for you. Um, anyway, this will probably send a message to CBS that the Borg is where it's at, and they should probably create a show that gives the audience so much Borg they get sick of them. Oh, wait, Voyager already exists. And, oh, wait, it's apparently impossible to get sick of them because they're the most watched. And, oh, wait, how long until the Discovery encounters the Borg? And how will that screw up the timeline? And, oh, wait, speaking of timelines, check this out. Our top comment this week on social media is not from our social media outlets, but rather from the Twitter feeds of two Star Trek luminaries, Anthony Rapp, who is playing Lieutenant Stamets in Discovery, and David Mack, a.k.a. Mack Attack. Yeah, get used to it. The writer of Discovery's first tie-in novel, Desperate Hours. Link available in the comments. The two are replying to a query from HuffPo contributor S. Daniel Carter, who wrote an article last October speculating on how the new show would fit into continuity. And Rapp had this to say, quote, Yes, it is in the prime timeline. Yes. 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 Yes! Is that it? Yes. Right. While Mac Attack, who, by the way, has an awesome Twitter feed that you should follow at at David Allen Mac, he just went on a screed about people complaining about the show and how they have no idea how great it's going to be. Well, Mac Attack said, quote, what Anthony said. Yes. Yes! Discovery is in the prime timeline. It fits with canon. Apparent discrepancies will be addressed slash resolved. It works. End quote. This satisfied S. Daniel and will hopefully satisfy you too. For me, I just want to see the damn thing already. I have two dozen industry friends who all have signed NDAs and they can't talk about the show, but they seem to love to talk about how they can't talk about the show. And it's really frustrating for a Trek journalist. Anyway, thanks, Anthony and Mac, for your encouraging comments. We're obviously excited to see the show, whatever universe it's in. For your top comment, you win a set of unopened Star Trek Discovery Critic Screener DVDs. Remember, listeners, you can inquire what timeline we're in and maybe have your comment read on the air. Just go to facebook.com forward slash EISTpod or find us at at EISTpod on Twitter or through our social media links on enterprisingindividuals.com. You can also reach the show at EISTpod at gmail.com with feedback and suggestions or to just say hello. We're waiting to receive your transmission. Star Trek Discovery can be seen by fans and critics alike this Sunday, and we are providing special coverage of the new show in the form of live recap episodes, which will air immediately after the show is broadcast every week. It's called Star Trek Discoverage, and each episode I will be joined by special guests. For our first episode, I'm joined by Troublesome Minds author Dave Galanter and Ella Pearson of the Generations Geek podcast. We're going to give our reactions to the show, our analysis of how it fits into canon, what we think is coming up, what we think of the uniforms. Uh, We'll be on the lookout for double axe handles, all that. Please follow us on Twitter to get announcements just before we go live on Sunday nights. This Sunday we'll be live at approximately 9.30 p.m. Central Time, as soon as the two-part premiere of Discovery has aired on CBS All Access. And while you're on Twitter, you can show your support or tweet at us with comments about our show at the hashtag Discoverage, spelled like it sounds. 
If you can't catch us live, our Discovered shows will be available after broadcast on our Patreon page, where you too can become a crew member for the show by going to patreon.com forward slash EISTpod and signing up to receive exclusive subscriber content like our Discovered shows, my DS9 recap episodes, my Klingon Christmas Carol rehearsal diary, and much more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. We are incredibly excited for this show and we want to share it with you. So join us Sunday nights. Let's make a whole thing of it. And as always, anything you can contribute would be appreciated and would help keep us flying. Thanks. And that's it for this supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals. If you're an iTunes listener and you haven't yet, why not look us up on iTunes and make sure you're subscribed to the show? Also, write us a little review if the spirit moves you and give us a rating at the very least. We'd appreciate it. If you're not an iTunes user, you can still subscribe to the show on Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you get your show from. And if you leave positive comments and ratings on those platforms as well, we would be eternally grateful. Next time on Enterprising Individuals. The 24th century provides refuge from the problems of the past, where greed and want have been relegated to the dustbin of history, and former rivals can become trusted allies. But even in the future, expanding your boundaries sometimes means encountering new enemies. Author Jeffrey Lang joins us next week for a look at a contemplative episode of The Next Generation, one that examines the horrors of war and asks whether we can ever forgive our enemies, even when war has made victims of us all. The Wounded, next time on Enterprising Individuals. And until then, I'm your Captain Caliban signing off and saying, live long and prosper. Prosper.